Well, two weeks ago, we talked about the fact that idleness leads to regression, which in layman's terms we say, if you don't use it, what? You lose it. That's right. We learn that's true when it comes to learning a foreign language. That's the illustration I used last time. It's true in athletics. It's true with your health. Physical therapist will tell you one of the major causes of back pain is inactivity. What's, what's the idea there? If you don't use it, you, you lose it, right? Idleness leads to regression. This is also true in our spiritual lives. We talked about this at length two weeks ago. We're going to talk about it more this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews 6, we are continuing our study through Hebrews this morning. We're finishing out this section on the dangers of what many call spiritual sluggishness and what our response should be as believers. We've learned over the past few months as we've been studying through Hebrews that the writer of Hebrews is addressing a group of Jewish Christians who are struggling spiritually. They are spiritually sluggish. They are, they are drifting from Christ and the Christian faith. They are regressing. And one of the major issues they have is this issue of idleness. So the writer of Hebrews is writing here to wake them up spiritually. And believers, many of us need to be woken up as well. We too need to hear this message because, let's be honest, we can struggle with being idle in our spiritual lives. We often struggle with what many call spiritual sluggishness. So if that's the case, which it is, what's our response to be? Well, we find an answer in Hebrews chapter 5 verses 11 through chapter 6 verse 10. The author of Hebrews tells us, how to battle spiritual sluggishness here. Two weeks ago, we looked at the first half of this section and learned that the first key to dealing with spiritual sluggishness is this. Here's the outline for review. Number one, be honest about your spiritual health. Be honest about your spiritual health. In verses 11 through 12 of Hebrews 5, the writer of Hebrews says that the Jewish Christians he's writing to are like babies, spiritually. He basically says, you guys should be in my shoes. You should be doing the teaching. You should be doing to others what I am doing to you. You should be communicating the deep doctrinal truths to others. But you can't. And you aren't because you still, after all this time, need someone spoon-feeding you the basics. You need milk. You're not on solid food. And believers, I, I said last time, but I, I need to ask this again. Does this apply to you? Have you been spoon-fed spiritually for far too long? Are you at the point where you should be sharing with others the deeper truths of the gospel of the Lord Jesus, sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus with friends and family, but are not. That's the Hebrews' problem. 
They were not developing as they should have been developing. They were not growing. They were stagnant in their faith. And the reason why is because, we're told here, they have become dull of hearing. They were not truly listening. They were not understanding and living in light of what they had been taught. And as a result, they were not growing as they should. And we can be that way, can't we? Because our minds are prone to wander, because our minds are prone to drift, we can become this way, and we can become idle in our spiritual lives and dull of hearing. Because that's the case, it's very, very important that we continually examine ourselves by the Word of God and be honest with where we are in our spiritual lives and guard against spiritual sluggishness. We need to be honest about the state of things in our lives spiritually. We also need to be faithful doing the next thing, taking the next steps we're to be taking as believers in our spiritual lives. So that's the first key we talked about last time, about how to deal with spiritual sluggishness. You have to be honest about your spiritual condition. Second key is this, commit to grow in Christ. Look at verses 13 and 14 of chapter 5 again. He says, For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. In verses 13 through 14, the writer of Hebrews warns against living on milk and not moving on to solid foods in a spiritual sense and growing in godliness. We talked at length about what he means when he talks about milk and when he talks about solid food. We said that milk is the fundamentals of the faith the core elements of the gospel, the fact that God is a righteous and holy God, that man was created in right standing with God in his image, and man turned away from God and set himself against God in the fact that Christ, the Son of God, was sent by the Father to earth to become a man, to live and die for us in order to save us in that in order for us to be saved we must forsake our sin and give our lives up and over to Jesus and place our faith and trust alone in him alone for salvation that's the milk we said to be saved we have to hear those truths and believe those truths and personally embrace that message and respond to it by turning from our sins and giving our lives up and over to Jesus. That's the milk. The initial hearing and responding to the gospel message. Solid food is when we grow deeper in our knowledge of the gospel. It's when we internalize the gospel and when the gospel begins to affect every aspect of our lives. 
It affects the way in which we view this world. It affects the way we feel about the goings-on in this world and our place in the world. And it's when the gospel affects the way we live in this world. Solid food is when you internalize the core teachings of the gospel. And it affects the way you view the world, the way you make decisions, and the way you live your life. So why he refers to solid food in verse 13 is righteousness or right living. In verse 14 he says, solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. The mature man is the one who thinks according to Scripture, feels according to Scripture, and lives in accordance with Scripture. It's the man who knows how to distinguish good from evil because he has deep roots in what God's Word says and what it says influences every aspect of his life. The author of Hebrews wants those in his audience to commit to grow and mature in Christ in that way. He says, therefore let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. And we said last time, he doesn't mean here, leave and don't come back. Leave the elementary doctrine of Christ, never to return. He's saying, leave and build upon it. Build upon your knowledge of who Christ is and what he has done. Move, mature, grow deeper in your knowledge of God, man, sin, and salvation. Grow deeper in your knowledge of the gospel. Internalize this message to such an extent that it affects every aspect of your life. Let it influence the way in which you view this world, the way in which you feel about the goings-on in the world and your place in the world. Let it influence the way in which you live in this world. Believers, that sounds like a tall order. It is. It really is. Praise be to God. He gives us the grace we need, does the work in our heart that needs to be done to give us the desire and the ability to live this out, to live in this way. He gives us the ability to live the life He calls for us to live in his word. In verse 3 of Hebrews 6, the author of Hebrews speaks of God's role in our growth and godliness. He says, and this we will do if God permits. God knows our inabilities, believers. He knows that we are weak and quick to sin. He knows we are in complete need of help to listen to and learn and internalize and apply and teach these essential doctrines of the faith. And he graciously provides us with the help we need. He works in us, giving us the will and the desire and the ability to make and keep these commitments and grow in godliness. So to avoid spiritual sluggishness, we have to be honest about our current spiritual condition. We have to, by God's grace, commit ourselves to grow in Christ. So that's our review. 
from last time now on to this week's sermon. All right? <laughs> the lengthy intro to avoid spiritual sluggishness. Not only do we have to be honest about our spiritual condition, commit ourselves to grow in Christ, but we must also respond to God's warnings. Now we are about to look at a passage of Scripture that is one of the more challenging passages in the Bible. I've got to be honest with you, if I had the option of preaching any passage in Hebrews, this would not make my top ten, okay? But the great thing about preaching chapter by chapter, verse by verse, is that you're forced to deal with the more challenging passages of Scripture. And verses 4 through 8 is one of those passages. There are a ton of different interpretations of this passage, and here's why it's so challenging. We'll read it in just a minute, but here's the issue. Here's the rub. When you read it, at first glance, it really sounds as if the writer of Hebrews is saying that you can lose your salvation. So there are two different camps of people when it comes to interpreting this passage and a couple of different interpretations in each camp of this passage, okay? Challenging passage of Scripture. One camp says you can lose your salvation. The other says you cannot. We as a church believe and teach what is called eternal security, which means that once a person is saved, they remain saved, and they are secure forever. And the reason we, we feel this way, the reason we believe this is because of many, many other verses in Scripture, okay? So we believe this because of the Bible. Now, if this passage is all we had without any verses surrounding it, giving it context, and the rest of Scripture, one may assume that this passage is teaching that we can lose our salvation, that we are not secure, but that is not the case. We have context here. We have the rest of Scripture that teaches otherwise. So, with that being said, what's being said here? Well, first, let's read it. Then I'll share with you the way I interpret this text of Scripture. Look, beginning in verse 4. We're told this. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance. Since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. Now, let's be honest. We can see here how someone might read this verse of Scripture and say, hey, that sort of sounds like it's teaching that you can lose your salvation. Look at what he says. The writer says a person has been enlightened, they have tasted the heavenly gift. Then it says they fall away. Then it says it's impossible for them to be brought back to repentance. That sure sounds like a person who's been saved, fallen away from the faith, who is lost forever. So how do we respond to that? How do we make sense of this? Well, here's the thing. I don't think this passage is describing a Christian. I think this passage is describing someone who is a part of the Christian community but has not been saved. He's not describing one who is a Christian, and I'll explain why. First, you know, some will 
Some will respond counter to that, and they'll say, well, I thought you said the audience of Hebrews were Christians. Yes, but notice that he's not addressing the audience here. He says, those, those people, right? He's talking about somebody else. Author, Bible teacher, theologian, pastor, H.A. Ironside said this in his commentary on Hebrews. Look at this quote. He says that the writer of Hebrews is speaking here of persons who had never experienced the regenerating grace of the Spirit of God. I agree. Notice that the language that most of the New Testament uses to describe a Christian is not used here. The word saved, born again, indwelt with the Spirit, right? Sealed with the Spirit, believe, faith. None of those things are used. And the way he does describe people is not used when describing Christians. You with me? Let's look at some of these phrases and try to make sense of them. First, he says, they have been enlightened. I think what this means is they have heard the truth. They understand it to an extent. They may even resonate with it, but have not personally responded to it. They have rejected it. Again, Ironside says this. I'm going to be sharing with you a few quotes from his commentary on Hebrews. Really good. Look at this quote. Everyone who listens to the gospel is thereby enlightened, for the true light now shineth. But alas, men may refuse the light. They may reject the gospel and, by turning away from it, go back into darkness. The writer of Hebrews says they have tasted the heavenly gift. They have shared in the Holy Spirit. Notice he doesn't say they possess God's heavenly gift of salvation. He doesn't say they have been indwelt by the Holy Spirit. He says they have tasted the heavenly gift. Some believe this is a reference to the Lord's Supper, maybe, or communion. You know, they've, they've been with God's people. They have, they have taken part in communion. Do non-believers sometimes take the Lord's Supper? Yes. Should they? No. They have shared in the Holy Spirit. Now, I believe there have been people in both the Old and the New Testament who have tasted heavenly things. They have been associated with God's people. They have shared in the work of the Holy Spirit. An example from the Old Testament is the Jews in the wilderness, right? The author of Hebrews has already used them as an example. They were delivered by God out of Egyptian bondage miraculously through the Red Sea. They fed on manna from heaven. They drank from the water God provided from the rock. But many of them... They turned their hearts away from God. They turned their hearts back toward Egypt. Many of them did not enter God's rest, his land of promise, but instead they perished in the wilderness. Think of King Saul. Remember Saul? He prophesied, did he not? God spoke truth through him. He was God's anointed king. He had a close relationship with God's man David before he wanted to kill him. But I don't believe he was numbered among God's people. Nothing really good said about Saul. In the New Testament, there's Judas, one of the 12 with Jesus. He participated in the work of the Holy Spirit. Remember, he was with Jesus. Jesus 
was sent by the Father, led by the Spirit. He did the work the Father sent him to do during his earthly ministry through the power of the Spirit, we're told. And Judas took part in that work. Think about Simon the magician. We talked about him in Acts. Acts chapter 8. Remember, he was alongside Philip in Samaria. Both Judas and Simon, they were a part of the work. They were around the work, but they abandoned the work. They turned away from Christ. They abandoned God's people. That's who I believe the author is describing here. He's talking about a group of people who associate with the people of God. They may even resonate with them to an extent, but they are not believers. Look again at verse 5. He says, They have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come. I believe he's saying here that these people, they have sat under good, solid teaching. They, they value it. They've tasted the goodness of that. They respect the power of it. They've seen power come from it. They like some of the promises that come along with it. But they have never trusted in Christ. They have never given their lives up and over to Him. Again, look at this quote by Ironside. He says, They had tasted the good word of God, having listened to the good news of the gospel, and to a certain extent appreciated the message that it brought. They have been eyewitnesses of the works of the power of the coming age. But we're like those in John's gospel who were drawn to Jesus because of the signs they saw him do. But when the teachings got hard, they turned away to follow him no longer. That's what we have here. The author of Hebrews is saying all this to give those in his audience a very stern warning concerning what is called apostasy. We talked about this a lot when we were in the book of Jude. There are apostates. There were apostates in that day. There are apostates today. Those who are with God's people, they hear the gospel, fellowship with God's people, partake in the Lord's Supper, pass through the waters of baptism, but are never transformed from the inside out. They hear the message of the gospel. They believe certain facts to be true about Jesus, but never give their lives up and over to Him. They're not changed from the inside out. Christ is not ruling in their hearts and over their lives. The writer of Hebrews says here, if they're not careful, if they do not repent, they can get to the point after being exposed to the full light of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and saying finally, nope, not for me, they can get to the point, follow me here, where they are past the point of rescue. You believe that can happen? Better believe it. The writer of Hebrews is saying it here. Notice what the author of Hebrews says about them. Look at verse 6 again. He says, this person, if they have participated in these things and have tasted these things, if they do that, 
and men have fallen away, if they abandon the faith, if they turn away, it is impossible to restore them again to repentance. Now, if, we're, if he were talking about a true believer here, which I don't believe he is, but if he were, you can make the case that he's talking about them losing their salvation, right? Only problem with those who hold to that view, he says here they can't be restored. That's a problem. Not everyone who holds to that view believe that. But if you follow that consistently, that's what he's saying. Now, now get this. What I believe he's addressing here is not believers in danger of losing salvation, but non-believers in danger of losing salvation. Follow me? He's not talking about believers in danger of losing salvation, but non-believers in danger of losing it. He's speaking to non-believers getting to the point where they are past the point of rescue, getting to where Simon the magician was and where Judas was. One can get to that point. But listen, not everybody who walks out those doors, not everybody who leaves stays gone, right? Thankfully so. They come back. Some come back. That's my story. I'm an example of that. I was raised in the church, associated with God's people, but I turned away from that, rejected that, went my own way. But praise be to God, He changed my heart and life. He saved me. He restored me. Praise be to God, He was merciful to a wretch like me. So some return. Some don't. People can get to that point where they are past the point of rescue. And the writer of Hebrews is saying that to give a very stern warning. Because there were some Jews in that day who responded initially on a surface level to Jesus. And they were with God's people. They may have passed through the waters of baptism, partook of the Lord's Supper meal, but eventually rejected Christ, the gospel message, and God's people. The writer of Hebrews is saying that some of those will be lost forever without a hope of repentance because they are stone cold and completely calloused in their hearts. They have seen the full light of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, but they rejected that completely and they have associated themselves once again with the enemies of Christ. They've made their bed. They have aligned themselves against Jesus for good. The writer of Hebrews says it is impossible for those who have fallen away to restore them again to repentance because they have hardened their hearts. They have aligned themselves with Christ's enemies for good. They will not be restored to repentance, verse 6, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. They are aligning themselves again with enemies of the cross, enemies of Christ. They are past the point of rescue because they have aligned themselves once again with Christ's enemies. That's what I believe he's saying here. He's saying when you have a person who is with God's people, possibly even participating in God's kingdom work, and they reject Christ and they turn away from him, they align themselves with his enemies once again. It's hard for them. You don't often see them repenting and returning and being truly saved and restored to God. They can get to that point 
where they are past the point of rescue. Now, listen, believers, we don't know when that happens. We should pray for them to be restored. When God puts somebody on your heart, know that that's God who put them on your heart. Praise God for his grace to have you pray for them. So be faithful and and do that, right? We're to be faithful to pray for them. We are to go to them, right? We are to go after them. We are to warn people who are among us, but not of us, of this truth, and plead with them to repent and believe. Because they could get to that point where they are past the point of rescue. Now, why is the writer of Hebrews saying this here? Again, he's giving his readers this warning. He's giving a stern warning here. Remember, he's writing to believers. This here is another one of those warning passages in Scripture. He is writing this here in hopes that the believers in his audience who might be drifting a bit will respond to the warnings, turn back, fix their eyes on Christ, keep trusting, keep believing in him. He goes on to give an illustration that I believe supports this interpretation and his intent here in this warning passage in verses 4 through 6 of Hebrews 6. Look at verses 7 and 8. The writer says this, For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But, If it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Okay, so this is an illustration. The author of Hebrews says you have two different types of land. They both receive the same rain. The rain represents the gospel. The land represents two types of people, so two different soils, right? Remember the parable of the sower? One land receives the rain, produces good fruit and receives blessing from God. The other receives the same rain, same gospel, produces thorns and thistles and is rejected by God. It is cursed and burned. So you have one group who represent the fruitful Christ followers, blessed by God, others who are the fruitless non-believers who have received the same gospel message but have not responded to it in their hearts. They've not been changed from the inside out who will face God's judgment in the end if they do not truly repent. The writer of Hebrews gives us this illustration for the same reason he gives us the warning in verses 4 through 6. He is writing to encourage the believers in his audience to not grow stagnant in their faith. He is writing so that they will keep trusting, keep believing, keep following hard after Jesus. He is writing to those who may be drifting a bit spiritually for them to get back on track and get busy living for God. He's saying, don't be like those who have been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the ages to come and then have fallen away, have aligned themselves once again with the enemies of Jesus. He's saying, don't be like them. Don't drift. Look to Jesus. Consider Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Look to him. Trust in him. Cling to him. 
follow hard after him. That's the purpose of these warning passages. They are written, get this, to catch the attention of the saints. To those who have ears to hear and eyes to see, and I believe the believers in this audience do hear, see, and respond. So how are we to deal with spiritual sluggishness? We're not to be dull of hearing. We're to listen to these warning passages and respond by continuing to look to, trust in, cling to, and abide in the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the fourth and final key on how to deal with spiritual sluggishness and how to respond when you're idle spiritually. Be diligent to the end. Be diligent to the end. Look at verse 9. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, notice how the tone changes. Beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. He's talking to believers here. Notice he calls them beloved. Also translated, dear friends. It's not by accident that he speaks in this way in verse 9. Think about what he's just said. I mean, he's just issued the biggest warning in this book, one of the biggest in the Bible. He's talked to them at length about those who have been enlightened, those who have tasted the heavenly gift, those who have shared in the Holy Spirit and tasted of the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come who have fallen away about their hopeless state. After saying all that, he says in verse 9, Beloved, I know you're not going to abandon the faith. He's confident that his audience is in the fruitful group that he talked about in verses 7 and 8. The writer of Hebrews has a very pastoral heart. We see that throughout. He basically says, Beloved, dear friends, we know you're going to persevere. Though we speak in this way, in your case, we feel sure of better things. Things that belong to salvation. He is confident that they're going to be fruitful. Look at verse 10. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. Notice here, the writer of Hebrews continues with the confidence that he has for his audience by highlighting their good works. He says, God knows about your good works. He's not forgotten about those. He knows the love you have for him and the love that you've shown him by serving his saints. This is something you're still doing. And he is writing this book here to encourage them to continue in that. Keep doing that. That's a sign, a clear mark of a believer right don't stop he says keep being diligent keep pursuing godliness keep serving the saints and love in god's name for his glory why a few reasons one to have assurance in the end talked about this when god does a work in us and when we work out what he's working in us that gives us assurance right we see the evidence of god working in our lives and that brings about an even greater assurance and the author of Hebrews mentions this again and again. Look at verse 11. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness. Keep going, keep going. To have the full assurance of hope till the end. He says we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness. We desire for each of you to keep serving in this way and to persevere. Why? So that you will continue to have full and complete Assurance. The fruit of our faith brings assurance to our faith. How about that? 
The second reason he wants them to keep believing, to keep trusting in Jesus, is so that they will not be idle spiritually, but follow in the footsteps of the faithful. He's going to emphasize this more later on, the importance of following in the footsteps of the faithful. Look at verse 12. So that you may not be sluggish. There's that word. You're wondering where I got that word from, right? So that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So he's encouraging them to continue in the faith so that they will have assurance of salvation. Fruitfulness gives assurance, right? And so that they will follow in the footsteps of the faithful and endure and persevere till the end. So the purpose of the warnings here, again, the purpose of the entire book of Hebrews is to encourage believers to not drift spiritually, to not turn away from, to not look beyond Christ, to combat spiritual sluggishness. And the keys to do this, here they are once again, look at them, to combat spiritual sluggishness. Be honest about your spiritual health. Commit to grow in Christ. Respond to God's warnings and be diligent to the very end. Maybe you're here this morning, you're not trusting in Christ alone for your salvation, but God's been working in your heart and life maybe this very morning or up to this point. You're wondering what the next step is for you. Listen, first step is for you to be honest about where you are or where you're not spiritually. That's the first step right there. If you're not sure, just read God's word. The spirit of God will sort you out when you read his word. God's word is clear that without Christ, we are all sinners set against him. He clearly says in his word, we have all sinned, we've all fallen short of his glory. Everyone without exception, we have missed the mark. We have turned away from him. We have set ourselves against him. You must understand that. You must come to terms with your sinfulness or you'll never see your need for, look to, and trust in the Savior. You must also respond to God's warnings. See how I'm going back through the outline? Respond to God's warnings. God promises judgment. He promises condemnation if something does not change in us. He promises those things, but guess what? He also sends us his son. And along with the person and work of Christ comes wonderful promises as well. Christ has come. He's become one of us. He has obeyed the Father perfectly for us, suffered and died for us, was raised for us, so that he could raise us up from sin and death. He has made a way through his life, death, and resurrection for us to be forgiven of sin and made right with him. I was reading John 10 this morning. Jesus is the door, and he is also the good shepherd who leads us in and through that door. Amen. That's our Lord. So if you're here this morning, you're, you're not trusting in Christ alone for your salvation. I urge you today, be honest with God about the state of things in your life spiritually. Confess your sin and your need of salvation. Forsake your sin. Place your faith and trust in Christ alone. Follow the good shepherd through the door into the presence of God. Turn from your sin. Place your faith and trust in Christ alone if you have not and be saved. Let's pray.